New Manufacturing Hub 2024. I am Dave, the guy sitting. Oh, I do have mirror screens. The guy sitting to my right is Vlad. We are super happy to go kick off this 2024 year with a mega show. We had so much fun doing one of these shows with a bunch of guests while we were over in Germany with Siemens. I convinced Vlad and we wrestled and I, I think I won. We've got six guests coming up in five minute segments. I'm going to talk all about predictions and everything else that we are thinking for this year and everyone's got to do it in seven to ten minutes, which if you guys are long-term listeners, you will know is not something we incel excel in. I will say if you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. Every Wednesday at about four o'clock East Coast time, Vlad and I go live. We bring a practitioner's viewpoint to manufacturing and we've got other exceptionally capable guests as you guys will see today no pressure zach who's currently sitting in the green room i'm um, talking about different manufacturing topics every month we pick a different theme this month we are talking about what is industry 4.0 practical applications only which we will go ahead and kick off in full force next wednesday vlad before we let zach on do you have any comments for the listeners no, I think it's going to be an interesting format. As you said, we've uh, done it at SPS, and I think it was a very interesting way to get a lot of information from a variety of different guests. And as you've teased it a little bit, I think we have different backgrounds, different guests. So I'm hoping to get some really good perspectives of what's coming up in this year. Absolutely. I see a couple of people in chat. I will make one last comment. We try to do is be as very active in chat as we possibly can be. So please feel free to go ahead and drop comments in chat. And as you guys are doing that, let us know if you're enjoying this format. Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in Zach. Zach, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Vlad. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zach. As, as you've probably heard, we do want to have a discussion about the upcoming year. So 2024 just begun 10 days ago, which seems like only yesterday. That being said, what are you foreseeing? What are your thoughts maybe on what's going to change in the industrial automation world, maybe in manufacturing as a, a broad industry in general? What do you foresee in this year? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, a, I think, a great format for you guys to do starting off the year here. And so I'll take a big swing here. I think that back in 2020, 2019, you started seeing cloud connectivity and the digitalization talk really start to take off. In early 2020, of course, COVID hit. And then that is really what sparked a lot of what people were doing within manufacturing and to really get us to where we are now with cloud connectivity. I think this year you're going to see a lot of big players within the industry start to require cloud connectivity out of their control platforms. So instead of it being a nice to have, it's going to be a must. And I think that data is really going to be king starting 2024 moving forward. It's going to be very hard for anybody that works in this space to not have a platform that does not connect out. And it's going to be very hard for any integrator that is working within this space to say that they don't do it. It's very difficult. And I guess if I can follow up on that thought, Zach, one thought that I wrestle with is hardware versus software, right? And I think that there's certainly more and more software platforms that come out that allow us to, I want to say, gather data, then reconcile data, add maybe some more context to it, and then obviously either funnel it to the cloud or maybe analyze the data. But I still think that there's a lot of opportunity on the hardware side, right? I, I think we're seeing a lot of different protocols come in. I think we're seeing better, I want to say, field devices, sensors with a lot more capability. Do you see it, I guess, based on your point, do you see more emphasis on software or are you still seeing maybe opportunities when it comes to industrial hardware in uh, 2024? So I think the requirement will be on the hardware side, that it, it you shall have a way to do whatever communication it is. So whether it's uh, MQTT, OPC, whatever you're doing, Right there, there will be hard requirements for that, and then I think on the software side, the other piece that I think is a big piece of this puzzle is we have, you know, graduating this year four years ago would have been the first students that went through COVID, right, and have spent mainly most of their lives through this digitalization talk as engineering students. So I think the the people that you have coming out of college right now uh, are going to be so used to this type of work, so used to this being part of what they learned that you have a new workforce that is joining 
an existing workforce that is basically saying, yeah, this is the way of the future. So I, I'm answering half of your question saying, yes, I think requirement is always going to be on the hardware side that it, it has to be connected. And then I think on the software side, uh, the ones that have been very successful in the past two years have been the ones that made it easy to make the connection. The hardest part of all this digitalization talk is step one is get the data. Step two is step three is profit, right? So the step two has always been the hardest part. And I think that's the part, someone that has an ecosystem that is, is driven by a digital platform, it's going to be making the connection to the data and how you can use the data, whether that's ML or AI or whatever it is, that piece is the piece of the missing puzzle that's really going to change this year. Dave, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. I think it's interesting. And Zach, I want to go back to your comment about the, the current graduates are going to be the one who very much grew up and, and did college for many of them through their first year during that first COVID year. When you see or when you predict those people coming into the workforce, what are your predictions upon how they're going to interact with people and the gray wave of everyone that we see all, already on the precipice of retiring? Do you think we're going to get some good interaction there? Do you think we're going to go through the process of having some struggles with two very different groups and learning styles and everything else? Yeah, I consider myself an elder millennial, so I, I won't lie about my age, but I'm nearing 40. So <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I'm a leader in the company and a, a thought leader. And I think that the, the group that came out probably 2019, 2020 are getting to their first promotion side and getting to the point where they're running projects now. So you have this group of people and it, and, and again, a long winded way of me saying is you're going to have the people that have been here for a long time. And I think that they've been very good at adapting to things, ethernet and the, the early to late aughts you know, just industrial networks, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, there's a lot of things that have happened, but I think what's unique about this group coming out now is not only are they like their digital life is normal. Like they have experienced four years plus of being digital. They've probably raised digital in terms of social media and what goes on. They're used to their houses being connected and getting mm -hmm. data and sending data all the time. So it's not a huge mental leap for them to say, why wouldn't this machine be connected? Why wouldn't I want to know what's going on here? So they have the tools that they learned in college. They have the social skills that were put upon them in the situation that they were in. And now they're able to take those two things and connect them better than probably any generation, including mine has been able to do. And, and I really think that is what is going to make this group of, I don't know what generation they're being called. I'm sure they'll get some, we'll give them some name that they resent for a while and they embrace just like every generation, and then the other generations will resent them. But at the same time, I really do think that it's this unique mix of a digital life with mm -hmm. a not being in person all the time, but also having data all the time and connecting the dots to, you can get a low cost PLC now from an Arduino. Like you can get that and it only costs you a hundred bucks or something like that. So th there are these two styles that are now meshing in the middle. That was the dream. 10 years ago, but I don't know that I had the wherewithal to get that stuff 10 years ago. That's a very interesting point. I really wonder also in that regard, if the hiring practices for not only OEMs, but even end users are going to change in the fact that you would bring in more, I want to say like software savvy or more software oriented people that understand maybe the data layer a bit better than I want to say a pure double E, right? So I think the programs will also shift, but that will take a bit longer than I want to say the immediate requirements of a more software, I want to say heavy industry in general. Yeah. And I, I think along with that point, Vlad is as much as the millennial and Gen X was thrust into, you must go to college to get a good job. I think you see this new generation coming up and certainly my children are going to live in a space where it is very, very acceptable to go have a very hands-on position, be a mechatronics engineer somewhere, get a two-year degree while you're working. And then you have, you, you come out of that at 20 with two years hands-on experience and an associate's degree, and you're well past a lot of people that are still sitting in their dorm rooms, just starting their major work. So I, I think you're going to see that kind of change too. And you'll have more experience coming into, coming into where we are now and having that hands-on I've done programming. Yeah. I've wired a cabinet. That's not that big of a deal when before the path was EE figure it out in a lab for two semesters 
And then when you get to you get to a company, they're like, cool, all that stuff you learned, we'll just teach you the right way. That's happening much earlier now. Absolutely. Let me follow that up with perhaps our, our last question for you today, Zach. You talked about the new people coming in and what they're going to be able to do. My biggest concern when it comes to that is perhaps the knowledge that we're going to lose. Do you think that we're going to be able to capture the knowledge of the older generations as they're getting ready and getting to the point of retirement? Or do you imagine that there'll be a bunch of relearning, a bunch of relearning that knowledge and those pieces of information in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. I hopefully can answer it in two minutes, but I'll say that a younger Zach, 12, 14 years ago, would have told you, I don't need experience. I can learn whatever you give in front of me. And I think that is true. At the same time, Zach, that's been 15, 16, whatever it is, 16 years in proper work, there is nothing that teaches you like experience and, you know, doing things incorrectly, getting corrected, you know, having actual field experience is no substitute for book learning and, or I should say the other way, book learning is no substitute for actual field experience. Mm -hmm. And we are going to miss it. I, I, that is a lot of stuff that we're going to miss. And I don't know that it can be easily replaced, but hopefully the larger corporations are doing a good job of pairing young engineers with engineers that are later in their career to get that experience and to really learn well, what I, I don't think a book can teach you. Absolutely. I think that is a fantastic, I think that is a fantastic answer. Thank you for that, Zach. I am going to cut us off here at the moment. We'll get to Yosef in a moment, only because I know Vlad has got a thousand more questions for Zach and we are running on a timeline, which again, everyone is, is something new. Zach's contact information, at least his LinkedIn should be in, in all of the forms that we're streaming and should be in the show notes. If you guys are listening to this in podcast form, Zach, thank you so much. Looking forward to continuing this conversation at some point later. Uh, in the year. Thanks, Vlad. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. Now let's see if we can go make a transition. And we have Yosef. Yosef, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, I really appreciate you joining us today. Again, the goal is to get your perspective on the upcoming year, 2024. But ultimately, we, the three of us at least know that you're running a company that is very focused on the software side, at least, of the industrial automation. So I think it makes a really good transition. Zach made a point of software gaining more and more importance in the years to come. So we wanted to maybe start you off with what do you see in 2024 in general, but maybe then dive into the, those topics afterwards. Uh, thanks for that. And I was uh, really eagerly listening to the discussion you and uh, actually what we see exactly the same things. First of all, the adoption of our product is really driven through demography. It's really driven to this new way. We need to have people get tools that they would basically expect when they enter the work age. Mm -hmm. um, what has been different categories like backup, secure remote control version management. The expectation now is that you have it on your fingertips all the time that you can work with your colleague in another continent that has access to the same PLC or does other stuff that changes something in your machine. It's more or less not acceptable to have this in a clumsy set of different tools that are very often not even uh, compatible. On top of this, I would say, more convenient and therefore a more efficient type of working. There is this additional need that we see a lot in our customer base on additional security, because once you have all of, we manage PLCs, we manage the programs of PLCs in a software defined way. Once you have that all in a cloud repository, you then can have very fine access rights for your own personal. You can integrate it with the Active Directory, so you can manage the access mm -hmm. rights to all the equipment in the shop floor, like PLCs and HMIs, in a way that's normal for IT, where um, people basically would expect that you have a user role right access. And especially, you do not have everyone know everything. Uh, just uh, take this experience where you have um, system integrator, third party, like. Building up a new line is in a way kind of collaboration warfare, yeah? <laughs> but you really want to also do it in a controlled way. And now we are able to get closer to what we in IT is called zero trust environment. 
-hmm. Someone can do changes on a PSC without knowing the password. Yeah? Because you just give them the rights, you give them the tool to just do exactly those changes, and they are completely monitored. That's something that we see both from the business, like from the automation engineering managers, but also very close from all these factory ITs, because they see just the threat of people getting hacked, ransomware, and so on. And the third thing, and this really is tied very close to uh, your discussion with SEC, we, as many others, working with the new capabilities that Generative AI builds us, uh, brings mm -hmm. us, and we focus on I would say not so fancy use cases, but basically helping people on the ground. What our customers tell us, we all the time look into PLC code that is 20 years old, not well documented, sometimes in other languages, and either the colleague is close to retirement or has already retired. So what we've built is uh, auto-documentation, we call, we call it a factory agent, that really helps people to get onto speed on a function block, for example, or a PLC program, a robot program in five to 10 minutes, instead of three hours. Yeah? I think this is what is we that see you've where... Released? Sorry, Joseph, yeah, to interrupt. Was... Is that something you guys have released or that's something you're planning to release this year? We have it announced that SPS Messe in Nuremberg in private previews so with customers. So the story goes like this. You have a, the typical zoo of different types of PLCs. With our customers, we are often, very often see Rockwell and Siemens and a couple of, of smaller ones. and. A lot of our customers do not even have a backup or a consistent backup. You make a backup and then you have proprietary files. You, what we can do is we can basically look into those proprietary files and get the real code out, the ladder logic and so on. And then you can then click on each block and say, this might be like 50, 200 lines of code, given the five sentence description of what that is. And it can be different ways. It can be A, the functional description for automation engineer or what it also could be, it could be a non-functional description that avoids all auto-EE terminology. And that allows another uh, class of users to access that technology. I'll give you an example. We work with a customer. Basically, they make they, they paint stuff. Yeah? I cannot go into more details. But whenever the provider of the paint shop uh, changes something in the PLC, the process owner doesn't know. Yeah. First of all, we get to know those changes. And second, we then can also send auto notification that are understandable by a process owner, by a painting expert, not by an automation engineer what really changes. And that person can then react and say, I do approve or not approve, or if it happened, I want more testing of the final product. So this is where we see a lot of uptake and it's not immediately code generation. It's not like I have a co-pilot in my IDE. It's like the very basic thing that we need to keep, first of all, manufacturing sites running, then get more done with less people, and then get the younger generation easier, basically on the ramp to get on the same speed than people with 20, 30, 40 years of experience. And just to be clear, you can do this by parsing even ladder logic, so a non, I guess, like standard programming language. Interesting. Yes. I'd be very curious to see that demo, but maybe that's for another time. <laughs> we sadly only have 50, or I'm sorry, we only sadly only have 10 minutes with Yosef, and we absolutely yes, cannot sir. make it through an entire SDA demo at that point. Yosef, I, I want to go back when you were talking about the adoption rates and maybe continue mm -hmm. on the conversation that, that we had with Zach. I really like the thought of DevOps, the thought of what you guys are doing with SDA in order to bring standard IT tools, especially to, to groups of people like the, the next generation, like the the current generation who are expecting to be able to have that in manufacturing in the industrial space. Are you also seeing similar adoption towards executives and everyone else who is making those decisions, looking at the tools, understanding the value and it being an immediate yes? Um, developer tools are attractive for developers because they save time. And that's their immediate need. And we cater to two different audiences. We cater to, we cater to the developers on a daily basis. They get to know us through podcasts like this, to all types of forums, to our presences. We will be at Automate. We will be at IMTS next year. And we really talk with the end users. They go to our website. They started out in the tester product and they like it. And then, first of all, the executives see a bit different things. The executives see... I have a problem because 
I cannot keep productivity up of my automation engineers. I have a security problem. I cannot guarantee that I have a disaster recovery that's automated. That's also something we can do. We can do a backup and we can deploy in a couple of minutes hundreds and thousands of PLCs. We see strong adoption on both ends, but to answer your question, we don't see both of the adoption from pure DevOps. DevOps, if you're a higher level manager and you're responsible for keeping a bottling line up, the business KPIs are more important to you. And nowadays, that's, there's one thing, like the availability of talent that you will need is also a business KPI right now. So therefore, it's an uprising of the importance of tools. That's right, and there both lines connect. Absolutely. No, I love, I love that. I'm, I'm sorry, Yosef. I, I think you actually put us exactly at the stopping point. So Yosef, thank you so much you. for joining us here. If you guys don't have not heard the full conversation that we had with Yosef last year, we will go ahead and be sure to drop that in the comments and everything below, as well as everyone's contact information. I actually see a whole bunch of guests over here in the green room as well as we are slowly bringing them on. Yosef, thank you so much for this. Looking forward to the next conversation that we get to have with you about this. Thank you. Yosef. Thank you. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. And Ryan, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub. Thank you for joining us in this 10-minute segment in which I think all of us, none of us in this in this group excel at. But, but thank you for joining us to talk a bit about 2024 predictions. I'm just amazed that you're actually pulling this off. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad you said it. It's what I was thinking. I, I see you. I see we, we've got Nikki in here. We've got Hank and the junior board of directors coming up uh, shortly after that. And so I am also amazed that, that we are pulling this off. A lot of planning went into this, Ryan. But in any case, to, to get us started, maybe, or to continue the conversation about the year of 2024, what are your thoughts on the manufacturing industry or maybe industrial automation in general? What are you seeing happening in 2024? I I feel, and this probably goes pretty obvious for your audience, but the manufacturing is the place to be. And being in the technology side of manufacturing is even a better place to be. This is, we used to be the, the one at the school dance that you didn't necessarily want to dance with. And it seems like everyone wants to dance with those of us that practice in the skill set, this domain. And there's all sorts of macro trends that are affecting it. it I, that, that would be a much longer conversation, but I would say that the demand for automation, the demand for digitization, the interest in hearing the potential of technology and how it can change a manufacturing process has never been higher. And Probably the, it, it seems like there's a, a confluence of technology situations with global supply chain issues, mm -hmm. pandemic issues, changing of the guard from the demographics, like all of those things have come together to just make this a great, great place to be. And, and specifically as a systems integrator or as a consultant, I would say that it's also, we have such new tool sets. There's a whole new community of people entering into this space. There's a young generation, but there's also all sorts of people who are further in their career that are deciding what the life of a full-time employee is not what I would like, but I can continue to practice my skills in ways that are to potentially have a lot more impact on customers and on processes. So I see the tool set and the interest and the willingness to explore and go off and, and do things a little bit differently happening both within the customer base itself, but also within the supply base as there's just all sorts of different ways to serve the industry. So it's a cool place to be. I would definitely say so. I, I would say that maybe one of the recurring challenges that I still hear is maybe the upskilling of workers, right? And I think that manufacturers are slowly catching on that they can better present themselves. And I think there's a ton of opportunity, whether you come, even backgrounds like finance, right, can find themselves a, a really good career in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm wondering maybe what is your thoughts or perspective? Or are we getting more educational programs in place? Do you think that we're doing a better job as, I want to say, industry 
uh, leaders to some extent to educate the younger workforce on the benefits of coming into manufacturing? Uh, I think there's a lot of effort going into it. And, and so most of the space that, that we practice in is Axiom. We're heavily focused on the mid-market. You know, we see that the super majors, lot, lots of help, lots of, they've got all sorts of a pipeline of, of talent and they've got the, many of the same issues. But I would say that when you go down into the mid-market or smaller, that area continues to be underserved despite mm-hmm. the huge amount of um, government interest, state interest, programs that are coming out at all sorts of different levels to give to upskill, to retrain. I, I would say though that it, in a lot of cases, this is a lot like the formal education path where you know the you get on the conveyor, you go to college, you get a job, you do whatever. There's a different way through it. And you can add a lot of value and you can learn a lot of new skills by going on YouTube, by going to inductive mm-hmm. university, by going to there's all sorts of, you know, I probably am uh should be mentioning every vendor out there, but you can learn new skills and do that from the standpoint of coming in at all different levels. The other day I was with a customer that was, they had a young kid that he was in finance and he was dabbling Mm -hmm. with IOT stuff. And he was, he had done all kinds of cool Grafana screens. And it was really interesting to see the the path that he had taken was so non-traditional and yet the, the tools and the ability to teach yourself these tools and the ability to um, make change without necessarily being deathly afraid that you're going to destroy the process mm-hmm. is now possible. I saw one of the questions on pharmaceutical and mm-hmm. it's been slow to adopt and there you can't just go in and change things that are regulated industries. There are all sorts of different technologies that can be applied and you can use general mm-hmm. purpose vision. I'm not touching the process, but I'm learning about the process and I'm a, understanding what's potentially affecting the process. And I am putting in place some of the systems and tools that are necessary. And then when you're really sure of yourself, you can go in and affect change within the underlying control system or architecture. So there are so many ways to engage in this space that I would say that, are we doing a good job? Probably not. Could Is there a lot of effort going into it? Yes, there's a ton of effort. I think mm-hmm. the trick is still how to reach the small and mid-sized manufacturer because in the end they aren't on linkedin they're running their Mm -hmm. shop they aren't going to the conferences or if they are they're going to select conferences so how do we reach them i think is the trick for really all of us in the space Absolutely. I, I would agree with this. I, I do want to make one comment. Ryan was talking about some interesting state and other government opportunities. I will say the previous time Ryan was on with Becca and they were talking about, Ryan, you're going to have to remi- remind me the name, but it was some sort of Indiana energy initiative that you guys were doing. Yep. Speaking of Indiana, I'm sitting here in Southern Indiana and in a hotel room about to go talk to a small manufacturer about how they can use these tools. Yeah. The program in Indiana has a really innovative program. They're using energy as a entry Mm. point because it, in a lot of ways, it's not necessarily affecting the core process. You can Mm -hmm. learn a lot, you can dabble, you can start to do some advanced analytics and you can start to even understand what your process is doing by looking at the energy data. And then those same technologies that you've laid in can then be transitioned as you start to get more and more comfortable with them. So this, the energy insights program basically is around $50,000 of value. And Mm -hmm. if you're a plant under 500 people, it, it really is about as close to, I I won't say free because (laughs) you have to invest time. You have to invest Mm -hmm. your interest as a customer, but the state doesn't put a lot of requirements. And in the end, you end up with a bunch of software and a bunch of hardware that if you decide not to do anything with energy, that's okay. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get people on the path to smart manufacturing. But the premise is energy monitoring, right? If I understand it correctly, so they can monitor key areas of their process to understand what the performance looks like. And they, there is a, this is absolutely supported by the Indiana economic development corporation, Mm -hmm. their interest in, 
in sustainability in leveling the overall demand on their grid infrastructure. So there, there's hope that the program has a reasonable impact on that. But really, the real hope is they're trying to accelerate adoption of these new technologies within the small and mid-sized manufacturers. And energy is a way, the, the, the data models, the type of information, it, in the end, it doesn't vary by application type. You're still looking mm-hmm. at data that is energy related. Now, when you correlate that, you have to understand the process. But in terms of the complexity of what problem are we solving, you're not necessarily opening that aperture as as wide as you could be, which in some cases can stall people from learning about these new technologies. So I think it's a really brilliant way to allow people to get on the industry for smart manufacturing, treadmill, roadmap, whatever you want to call it, and learn and then realize, oh, this actually isn't as hard as I thought it was. It's really about changing the culture, changing the mindset, mm-hmm. readying the, the team for what's to come. The tech, you, you know, anyone can do it within limits. No, Ryan, th- that is fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I completely agree. I think that the, the next perhaps most exciting part is figuring out how to actually reach the small and medium-sized markets. As Ryan and I have had hours and hours of conversations on in the past, and obviously none of us have quite gotten it correct, but I am interested to hear how the conversation that you have coming up w- with your group goes. Thank you so much for these 10 minutes. We're looking forward to bringing you on again at some point later in 2024 to, to catch up at a more extended pace. Look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Up next, we've got Nikki. Nikki, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub. If you guys can't see the background because we've slightly cut it off, I think in addition to Nikki being head of partnerships at QuoteBeam and probably a bunch of other things and co-host of the Automation Ladies, I think she's got the biggest hat collection out of anyone that I know in, in the industry. But Nikki, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. We also see a Micro 800 PLC right here. <laughs> My dad gave me. I think awesome. they're fun. Oh, no. Definitely appreciate you joining us today, Nikki. Wanted to get you started with a very general, broad question. 2024, what are you excited for? What are you maybe hesitant or looking less forward to? What are your thoughts on uh, this upcoming year? Lots of connection and community Mm -hmm. happening. A lot of interconnecting of the supply chain. So Mm -hmm. if you don't know, my majority of my work, at least day job coping wise, is connecting industrial automation suppliers and distributors. And what I'm seeing there is the economic outlook. People are taking it different ways, but a majority of traditional distributors are investing in operational efficiency because they realize now that some of the supply chain stuff is getting better and they have a little bit more time to look at, okay, how can we make sure that going forward we're more profitable as we grow? And digitalization is a whole nother thing that we talk about on the manufacturing front. But in the back end, back office of all the companies that support manufacturers, they have a lot of room to digitalize their operations as well as their supply chains. And I think there's a lot of behind the scenes work going on there. And what I'm seeing coming into 2024 is just an increased willingness and an understanding that, hey, connecting to other suppliers between manufacturers, suppliers, sharing more information that helps all of us and working together more helps all of us. And so that's an exciting trend to see for myself. What scares me a little bit is just how much is going on for me this year. Automation ladies is growing. We might be looking at a, a space for ourselves here, maybe a real podcast studio coming soon something a little bit more than this laptop at my desk, <laughs> which you've seen me in for a couple of years now. And then tons and tons of events. And I'm super excited about them. I'm going to be seeing you guys, seeing a bunch of different people and companies. And at the same time, I'm really scared. April, May is going to be rough and fun for me at the same time. Um, Absolutely. I've got, a, I've got a couple of questions, Nikki, but I guess on the supply chain front, since yeah. you have a very good visibility of uh, how that's doing, are we completely out of the water or are there maybe some industries that you still see 
struggling behind? What's the what's the state of supply chain issues going into 2024? We are getting closer to being back to normal. I would say I, I don't see specific industries as much as last year and the year before. It was very much broad swaths of products that you just could not get from anybody like safety stuff. At one point, you didn't matter what brand you chose, you're not getting it in time. Now we're definitely to a point where a lot of the larger manufacturers have caught up. Uh, a lot of distributors ordered a lot last year to try to mitigate the issues. And now all of those orders have come in and they're actually sitting on stock. But there are also select product lines that are still having a really long lead time because there are still disruptions to the market for other reasons than COVID. There are various materials that just here and there are still affected, as well as backlogs and prioritization and things like that. So what we're seeing within a, a complete bill of materials, there are a smaller percentage of prob products are causing issues, but those issues are still there. And they're a little mm -hmm. bit unpredictable in terms of what product am I going to have a problem with at the moment from what manufacturer. And so it is more on a case-by-case -case basis, I would say which is where these investments into the resiliency of our supply chain and better visibility helps everyone because hopefully we'll never have a COVID like disruption event again, mm -hmm. but we will continue to have all kinds of things, natural disasters, weather is getting crazy. There are always going to be potential disruptions and that's where we really need to connect ourselves better to be able to work through those problems without being completely blind. Like we were going into COVID. Um, yeah, and it's, it's very interesting, right? I, I don't have the numbers on this, but I know that a few factories for semiconductors have begun operations or I guess are building towards operating in the US. So I'm, I'm not sure if now we're better prepared. I'm not sure if we're going to now overproduce. I'm not sure if that's going to change the prices of semiconductors in the US, but hopefully we are, again, at the very least better or more resilient to fluctuations mm -hmm. in other parts of the world. Yeah. And I think that's honestly that resilience piece of it is something that whether you're talking supply chain or really anything else. And I just want to go back to some of the previous speakers like Ryan, smaller companies, a lot of people are realizing that having a W-2 isn't necessarily the, the way for them going forward, whether it's people that are closer to retirement or younger people that want flexibility. They want to be able to have multiple sources of income. They don't want to be caught in a layoff and lose everything from underneath them. And at the same time, companies are seeing that, hey, being flexible, being able to work with contractors on an as needed basis, having access to talent for specific things that you may not need all the time, but you can pull in for projects. I'm seeing a lot more going on like that, both in the customer side, as well as the integrator community to try to be more resilient when it comes to fluctuations in business needs. New plants being built in a certain area, and then once that's completed, business goes elsewhere. How do we meet the demand for what manufacturers need um, without having to hire a bunch of people and then lay them off if things don't go well? Uh, and I think we're seeing more acceptance in the economic side of things to those types of arrangements um, when it comes to growing together to be able to fulfill customer needs. Absolutely. So Nikki, thank you so much for that. As you were talking about the supply chain, it made me think back to, I think one of the first times we had you on, which was for a supply chain roundtable, which is one of, I think our most viewed shows, at least up until that point. So we will have to go find some time to do an updated supply chain roundtable with you in 2024. But talking about 2024, you talked a bit about automation ladies. You talked a bit about doing a bunch of shows. Do you think that live shows are going to continue to be as relevant? relevant as they were the last couple of years, more relevant kind of, what are your predictions on that, please? I'm seeing more relevant. So new research has come out that the number of younger engineers that like to listen to work-related podcasts went up from, I think it was 73% to 90%. So I think content in this industry from third parties that have a point of view or have a niche or have something to offer other than, Hey, I'm the manufacturer and I want to talk about myself. I see that as increasing and whether that's live shows, podcasts, just any kind of educated third party content, really, I see a, a big increase in that both demand from people that want to consume that content, as well as companies that are putting that in their budgets now because they realize they've dipped their toes in it, they tried it out, and they realize it actually works and they want to do more of it. That would be my prediction based on the activity over the last few weeks for myself and automation ladies. 
Absolutely not. I think that sounds super interesting. We do have a, a minute or a couple of minutes left. If people haven't heard of Automation Ladies, can you give our listeners the pitch, please? Sure. Automation Ladies is the only podcast that I know of where girls talk about industrial automation. We don't talk to only women, but we talk to more women than most other shows, as well as other underrepresented people. We don't focus on just CEOs or very successful, visible people in the industry. We want to hear about all the different types of jobs and the pathways that people got into industrial controls and automation. And yeah, it's hosted by most of the time two women, but it varies from time to time. <laughs> okay, no, absolutely. So Automation Ladies, uh, certainly one of my most favorite podcasts to, to listen to. It's always been great to get Nikki and Allie and Courtney on the show. I think we've gotten everyone on at least once, if not a couple of times. Looking forward to continue that into 2024. Nikki, thank you so much. If you guys are looking for Nikki, all of her contact information should be linked to her LinkedIn, where you can absolutely go ahead and find her at least some parts of most days. <laughs> thank, thank you, guys. Nikki. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great job See with this. Thank yeah. you. Okay, we're going to go change over to Jim. Jim, I cannot see your camera. I don't know if you can turn this on. There we go. Let's see. It may be a which camera oh, I'm using. Oh, I see you. you there see we go. Now? You are in the appropriate industrial insight pink. So one, thank you very much for that, Jim. Two, I think every time we talk on here, you're in a slightly different position in your office. It is it is looking good, exceptionally well lit. Uh, Jim, <laughs> as we want to go talk about predictions and fun things for 2024. And for our yep. listeners who don't know industrial insight, you guys do a bunch of manufacturing intelligence over a, a number of different platforms that we can get into or not get into specifics here yeah, as probably. time allows. But, but what are your thoughts of what 2024 is going to look like? I've thought about this since Vlad reached out to me. There's a couple of things that I see going on that I, what the second one's a kind of a spicy hot take and some people are probably not going to be real happy with me on it. And I, I really don't care because it, I feel pretty passionate about it, but the first one's not as spicy, but it, it's true. So I don't know if you guys remember a video, Dave, you may remember this one. You remember the video that I made where in 10 years, our industrial plants are going to be running worse. Yes. And this was probably like four years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we're on that track. I, I think there's a light at the end of that tunnel and it's a train a coming. Uh, I, what I'm still seeing is people are retiring at a pretty good clip. We're losing a lot of the gray hair, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of young engineers that don't stay in the same position for nearly as long. So we're losing just massive amounts of expertise. And frankly, the younger generations like to move around, want to move around, want to move up, do different things. And I get that. I've been that way too. As a matter of fact, industrial insight is now the longest job I've ever had at seven years. Yeah. Amazing. And, and I don't see that changing, but, um, I really feel like we're losing that. And I think what's going to hide it a little bit is this year, I, I think Nikki was talking a little bit about the economic climate and I've got some customers that are like, yeah, we're really holding off on capital. We're not spending money. We're not doing anything. I'm hearing more of that this year than I did last year. You hear about the fed may pivot and decide not to raise interest rates that may push inflation up. So mm -hmm. it's like they're in a, between a rock and a hard place. If they raise interest rates, there's definitely less capital out there. Mm -hmm. If they don't, then there's more inflation potentially. And I think a lot of manufacturers are like, Hey, we're seeing everything softening. So we're going to hunker down, mm -hmm. which theoretically should be good for us. But what I think it's going to mask though, is these plants aren't going to be running as well because they're not investing in some of the things we do and getting that knowledge out of these people that are retiring. And they may be taking early retirement as a result of this downturn. Mm -hmm. So that's actually happening faster and they don't have the expertise to back it up. Now, all of a sudden they're running worse and they really don't know it because they're not having to run full out. So now you're going to be in this situation where you're actually way worse off and you're not ready to ramp that back up. You mm -hmm. can't run like you did two, three years ago because you don't have the people and the skill. And I think that's going to come to roost here in the next couple of years. I really believe that. I think we're going to see some folks struggle pretty bad. And we'll see how that plays out. So that's my less spicy take. Okay. Give us the spicy one, Jim. So the spicy one is mm, I'm getting sick of hearing about AI. 
I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sick of it because everything, even if it's not artificial intelligence, even if it's just like a simple machine learning algorithm, it's artificial intelligence where mm -hmm. everybody's calling it that now, just like everybody was calling it an IIoT platform several years ago. And it really wasn't, it was the corner of a platform, wasn't the whole platform itself. And what I'm still seeing and what just makes me want to just beat my head against the wall is people are trying to squeeze and shoehorn AI or artificial intelligence type solutions into a place where just some good first principle analytics and a good dashboard in front of the right people at the right time would solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You could spend $20,000 to solve that problem and they want to go spend $200,000. They have a sledgehammer and they're like, where's that fly? Where's that fly? And I'm like, you need a fly swatter for that one, right? And then they want to use the fly swatter where they actually need the dang sledgehammer. And you're like, what are you doing? And so I, I just feel like this whole generative AI and this AI craze is going to crash and burn like the Hindenburg. Now, does that mean I don't believe that artificial intelligence and all these tools are going to have an impact? We've had advanced process control and neural nets and things like that around for a really long time, mm -hmm. which is the beginning of that. Like we ran into a, a company last year that they call, they're called AI Op or AI ops. I can't remember, you know, two guys that came up with this way to, to do some deep learning and do some automatic process, some advanced process control. And I have to admit, I was like, I don't really know, but I listened to what they had to say. I saw their, their couple of use cases they had worked on. And these guys were working like their normal job in doing this. Mm -hmm. They had really done a good job. Like that kind of stuff is necessary. And that they were using some more advanced and newer techniques to bring to the APC space. That stuff is going to be around and available. And yes, we need it. The problem is you got a bunch of charlatans and snake oil salesmen running around telling these big wigs, hey, we got this great AI solution. If you just spend $2 million with us, we're going to solve all your problems. And they're going to spend $2 million, or they're going to spend $4 million and get a bunch of crap. And nobody's going to lose their job over it. And that's the part that really frustrates me because I'm preaching you don't need all that for those things you're trying to solve. It's the wrong tool for the wrong job. And that's my spicy take. So I'm sick of it at the moment. I'm seeing it and it's frustrating. It's you don't need all that. I also think, Jim, I guess like on that same point, I think that there's more emphasis now because of the popularity of AI being put on that layer versus getting data. And I think mm -hmm. that in manufacturing specifically, it's not that simple to get the right data you need. And, and I think that manufacturers data, kind of, huh? exactly, quality exactly. Data. Quality data. That's right. And I think they're jumping steps maybe because again, because of the hype, because of all these startups that are coming up and they don't spend enough time in the first effort, which is getting the, the right data. And I, I think they just, yeah, even I, if the solution is great on the AI side, it, to your point may not be great in many cases, but even if it is great, but you don't have the right infrastructure to get the data. I don't think it, it even mm -hmm. matters at that point. The reason why I couldn't come on earlier was I was on a call with a very large oil and gas manufacturer and we're, we're doing some data fidelity work for them. Mm -hmm. Now they have advanced process control solutions and have had them for years. Like that industry is one of the better ones with using APC. They're trying to squeeze every nickel out of everything they can do and have for years. They're pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is they still recognize the need of our data is not good enough, not to get us to the next level. And there's a lot of companies out there, to your point, Vlad, that are jumping two or three steps. Like to me, if you put me in charge of this stuff, it's a lot less glamorous. Like I'm not going to come wow the big wigs with, oh, give me two or $3 million. I'm going to do this AI stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're going to save a, a bajillion dollars. I would say we need to invest in getting good quality data, get all the data we need teach our people how to use the data, teach people how to do good visuals and good dashboarding so that we have the right information from the right people at the right time. So they make mm -hmm. good decisions, not bad decisions. And the fact is we don't have as experienced of a workforce. So therefore we need to 
be able to make it very easy for a relatively new engineer to say, okay, do I need to turn right or left here so that I don't go in the ditch? And we don't do that. We're not investing in that. So all that needs to be done before, or maybe even if you want to do a couple of things in parallel, Hey, let's go kick the tires with some of this stuff. And let's throw some of our more complex problems mm -hmm. that we don't think those solutions will handle fine. No problem. Let's do that in parallel. But it's like, they're, they're, it's, you can't even talk to them. It's, it goes in one ear, hits something really hard, comes back out the same ear. It doesn't even go through. It's in back out the same ear. Well, AI like, company is a really good salesman. I think 2024 should be the year both of you just started selling artificial intelligence. And I say this mostly, <laughs> I say this mostly in jest, but it may solve both of your problems. Having said that, Jim, I think, I, I think Vlad and I probably generally agree with you, although I have seen a number of co-pilots coming out through Microsoft I'm, and as Vlad and he hates I'm me. I'm not saying phrase, that there's not some solutions no, out there. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think I have dubbed 2024 the year of the industrial co-pilot. And I think we are probably going, we might see a hundred of them by, by the time we, we come out at the end of the year. So I think applications are interesting. We will have a manufacturing intelligence theme again at some point this year. And I'm going to pencil you in because I want to go have the conversation about artificial intelligence in as part of manufacturing intelligence. But I think we're going to pause it here. Thank you for your takes. We've got Hank and the junior board of directors coming up. They, they have been waiting for us. And so we are not going to pause them very long. If you guys want to learn have more a two, about- I didn't have a two-hour conversation this time. You didn't. You, I'm it, capable it is of a, it. It is a record for all of us. If you guys want to see more about Jim or Industrial Insight, all of the that contact information for Jim's LinkedIn, Industrial Insights LinkedIn should be below. Jim, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Happy New Year. Thank you. Okay. Let's see if we can do this. I'm going to go ahead and shift these so we can get the entirety of the junior board of directors in. Hank, junior board of directors, thank you for being here. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be on here. The uh, number two just left. She said she didn't want to be on and she ran away. <sighs> So close. I, I, I am sorry. We waited too long. Hank, it is your first time officially on the show, although we have had, I don't know, it seems like 30 hours of conversation at some point during the run of Manufacturing Hub. For all of our listeners who may not know you, may not know what the, the Junior Board of Directors is about and what you guys are doing, would you mind giving us a bit of an intro, please? Yeah, no problem. So I'm a, a master electrician. I'm entering my 40th year in the trade. It's been an uh, interesting run. We started off in water and waste treatment, running conduit, pulling wires, and now we're working for a company called Nuveyor Systems, and I design and program all of their automation. So I do the design, we send out the panels for build, I program them, I go to site, I do the commissioning, I do the site servicing, I do all of that. The junior board of directors, they came into play during uh, COVID. So I was working from the home office and they would pop in on a daily basis and I would post pictures of them. And I just started jokingly referring to them at that point as the junior board of directors. And it's taken on a life of its own. They have their own hashtag now and, and they follow a lot. Of, they love watching you guys, Nikki and Allie. They like watching. They watch Megan on the Mavens of Manufacturing. They enjoy all of them very much. Absolutely. And I think I saw that you guys got a 3D printer at some point over Christmas. I saw some pictures. I'm very jealous. I think I'm the only one in this conversation that currently does not have a 3D printer sitting within 10 feet or three meters of us. So you like your 3D printer? Yeah, that was a neat story too, because I got it on Marketplace and I messaged the lady saying that the girls wanted to spend their Christmas money to get a 3D printer. And she messaged back and basically said, I'm not going to take their Christmas money. They can come and get it. That's awesome. So they gave they gave them the 3D printer. So that was that kind of they experimented with or created. They so what have you thing. created so far? There's like a dog. Ooh. Yeah. Just printed like that. Like you didn't even have to snap anything together. They, they, nice. yeah, they still got a, flex, a little flex dog and it all flexes. And, and we also have some things that don't even move. And we yeah. have like this little box that opens and closes. So I got them on Tinkercad online yep. and they're starting, they're, they've done some of the tutorials and they're starting to design their own things on Tinkercad as well. 
It is amazing how accessible 3D printers have become. I want to say over the last decade, there's just so many now flavors. There's so many ways to find these prints. It is really cool. I wish I had the same level of opportunities on the mechanical side as early on as them. I think it's really yeah. cool that they get a chance to create and build. Yeah. Absolutely. So Hank, as we're talking all about predictions for 2024, so we'd love to get your thoughts and predictions of what 2024 looks like. And then beyond that, also interested to hear your thoughts on the larger conversations we've been having of the next generation and the next generations coming up and, and how we can help and support them as they go through the learning process into our industry. Yeah. So I think like for us, I say us in general, like Nuve or where I work, we have an ex probably the most, the busiest year we've ever had coming up. We got an amazing amount of projects coming up. We're looking at, regardless of where everybody says the economy, the certain economic situation, companies, we're seeing companies are still spending money. They're still investing, they're still expanding. And that's gone really well for us. So we have, we have some work coming up in, in Mobile, Alabama, a bit in South Carolina. I'm going back to Prince Rupert. I'm going to Kitimat, British Columbia. We got, we got quite a bit of stuff. I'm going to Iowa again in a few weeks. So we got quite a bit of stuff coming up. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty busy year for us. It's, it's looking good as far as that goes. Do you see it being as, I guess, everything being as in demand in every industry or just some particular ones that you guys service? What is your thought on maybe different industries? We're seeing, because we do pneumatic conveying, I explain it, if it can be blown or sucked through a pipe, we've probably done it. So we do everything from food to pharmaceutical to plastics industries and across the board, like we have food, we have, we have mining stuff coming up. We have plastic stuff coming up. So for what we're seeing, I see that it's across the board at this stage for what we're seeing, mm -hmm. that what's not centered in one particular uh, industry at all. There was an interesting, Hank, uh, question in the chat a little bit earlier that I thought I would uh, want to maybe get your take on, which was around Industry 4.0 and more like digital data solutions. Uh, what is your perspective? Do you see our industry adopt more of, let's say, industry 4.0 best practices, both, I want to say, on the engineering side, on the maintenance side? Do you see plants care more about it, or do you see it being somewhat similar to what we saw last year? We have, let's say, one customer in particular that's asked us to employ a lot more of that. They want a lot more data collection. They want to see a lot more like OEE data, production data. This particular customer, we're doing everything from scanning the, in the jobs coming up, we're going to be scanning RFIDs on rail cars as they come in. We're going to be keeping track of lot numbers for them. We're going more to link IO for field wiring. So we get more data, more diagnostics from the field devices. These guys are looking at more automated stuff beyond our system. They're mm -hmm. going, they're looking at AGVs for feeding the packing line, uh, automated loading for C cans, all of that sort of thing. So yeah, from what I'm seeing, I see more uh, industry 4.0, more automation, more hands-off type of things than I've seen in this industry for sure. Interesting. And then are they trying to go there, uh, Hank, your, your customers, because they're interested in the technology or is it cost savings or is it the fact that they can't find people? They're interested, definitely interested in the technology. Mm -hmm. And the other problem is the people problem, for sure. They're having a hard time finding the quality help that stays. They'll get people and they'll stay for six months or 12 months and then they'll leave. Yep. And that's a big issue they have right now. So they're, they're looking at automating more and more so they get less and less of the hands-on in the projects or in the plants. And I guess to follow up on that, do you see that? lack of personnel across the board or are there maybe some disciplines that you would say someone who's looking at i want to say trades or engineering or any of the technical type of work should pursue over the others are we lacking programmers are we lacking people installing are we lacking electricians operators what are your thoughts on that side i'm seeing it more like boots on the ground people that are running the plants 
They mm -hmm. seem to, they do have an issue finding the qualified people to service for sure. And that's definitely an issue. But the, the actual boots on the ground, the people that hook up the rail cars, the people that run the packaging line, they're having an issue with. I know the one plant we did work with, it took them almost a year and a half to find a, a maintenance manager. Wow. So, so it is in that, it's in that scale as well, that uh, both ends of it. And a lot of these guys, like a lot of these plants now, I'm online with them on a regular basis, helping them troubleshoot and work through things. And, and a lot of that is just because they don't have the people that can plug in and deal with that. Dave, what are your thoughts? No, I, I think it's interesting. I think one, Hank gets to go to some of the most awesome places. He always sends me pictures of the places he goes and the cool Airbnb that he stays at and like basically lives in Iowa and all of the bars in, in Newfoundland. And I am super jealous of, of some of the awesome places that uh, that Hank gets to go hang out when he is not at home. But I would, I would agree. I, I see lots of kind of issues of finding people and finding people who are interested to spend an extended period of time. I just had a conversation this morning with a group looking to start up a new factory. And that was the conversation is they're like, we're looking for these three to seven people to start. And I'm like, that's great. In fact, the best part is you're only looking for these three to seven people to start. Because if you were to come here and say, you're looking for a hundred people to, to go kick off this new plant, that in and of itself would be a difficult find, much less to have those people continue and extend uh, for a long period of time. I, I would agree with that. Uh, Hank, I, I guess I want to ask, I, I don't know if the, the junior board of directors ha have any thoughts or predictions or things that they're excited about uh, for 2024. You? Yeah. <laughs> <What>? Food. Food. <laughs> Food. Okay. So, yeah. so, so one of the questions you, you asked and we had talked about was getting like these guys interested and involved. And a lot of the things that I do with these two in particular, they see stuff on LinkedIn yeah. and then they want to try it. Okay. Like welding, welding was one. They saw, they were watching the manufacturing. Okay. And they had Barbie the welder on and they wanted to try welding. So we got out the welder and they tried. And now a few weeks ago, what do you guys want to do today? We want to weld. So we had some stuff okay. to fix, so we welded. And and somebody, Megan sent us, some, sent the girls some weld jackets for Christmas some girl size well jacket for Christmas. So they were very excited about Daddy. that. But one thing I do see that we can do is stuff like that. Like I'm getting them on Tinkercad, but even mm -hmm. the bigger picture, it's good to see a lot of schools starting to do maker spaces where they can start experience stuff like that. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping we're pretty busy this year, but I'm kind of hoping to get a little more involved with that at the girls, that sort of thing. Um, that's one of the, Hank, are you going to any trade shows this year? I haven't booked anything yet. I would love to. I have to see how my schedule pans out. So I am going to hit a couple here in Canada. Like there's quite a few here in Southern Ontario that are good. So I'm going to try and hit a couple of those. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Send me a note. Okay. Yeah. I would love to take these guys, but unfortunately, a lot of them have that 12 year old age restriction. So. <laughs> that, that, you said that last year, I think, Hank, for, for Automate, and I always find it surprising because I see lots of last day of the trade show very much being the we're going to go bring. Sometimes it's high school, but I, I see lots of middle school or perhaps elementary school uh, children coming in and going and getting the, the first flavors of, of some of these things. But uh, I am not in the position to ever look at, at the age restriction. I am I'm well past the point of having to worry if if they won't let me in because I don't quite look old enough. It's the beard. <laughs> it's the beard. But it's you guys got to grow a beard. Yeah. Yes. You got to grow beards. Yeah, we'll, we'll both have you put big fake beards on and no one will no one will question how old you are walking into the show floor. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I think if we can, like for me, my story in getting into the trade is I took shop class. And in high school, you go down to a focus and I focused to electric, electrical and electronics. And in my last semester, I got to go two weeks with a electrical contractor on a co-op. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they invited me out a week later or a couple of weeks later to come work with them on a Saturday. And I met the owner and he talked to me quite a bit. And then they brought me a paycheck for that weekend. My co-op wasn't paid, but that weekend Ooh. was. And they said, hey, listen, are you interested in an apprenticeship? So I literally 
stopped school on a Tuesday was the last day of school. And I started my apprenticeship on the Wednesday. Interesting. So, yeah. And that was through school, through that connection and through the education system and how that worked out. It would be really good if we can get more schools to start doing that sort of thing where you get somebody into a trade related something and then pan out to uh, an apprenticeship of some sort. Me and Anna get really jealous when he, like, all the food he gets to eat. <laughs> That's amazing. He's in the pictures of all the meals I have out of town. <laughs> yes. He also sends me a bunch of pictures uh, of the, the live music and, and bars that he gets to go to as he eats those food. And I certainly get jealous of that in, in and of itself. But We'll have no. to do a manufacturing hub live from O'Reilly's in St. John's. <laughs> we, we will. You and I will certainly enjoy that, Hank. I don't know what everyone else thinks of Island Time, but, but you and I will certainly enjoy that. Hank, yeah. girls, junior boards of directors, thank you. Thank you all so much uh, for, for coming. Uh, and everyone, thank you for hanging out and listening with us on Manufacturing Hub, our initial mega show. Please go ahead. Feel free to drop in the comments if you like this. Maybe you can help me convince Vlad to, to do these more often because shockingly, everyone showed up and and, and we are generally on time and, and I had a ton of fun. So if you guys have not been here before, we go live every Wednesday at about four o'clock all the rest of January long. We're going to talk about what is industry 4.0 practical applications only. So a little bit of a different flavor for some of these things. You guys can catch us on LinkedIn and, and all of the and YouTube and all the other streaming platforms. If you guys are listening to this in your ears with podcast form, please do the rate us five stars and follow and share and all of those great things. And thank you for the almost endless supply of chat that I have seen and like 30% of it that hasn't shown up on any of my uh, devices yet that I will certainly get back to and say thank you for and rep reply to until next week. We'll see everyone soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.